Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. The first reading is from Zephaniah, chapter 3, verses 14 to 20. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you, he has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion, do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He would exult over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all of your oppressors at that time and I will save the lame and gather the outcast and I will change your, their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home at the time when I gather you, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Today we're reading from Luke, book three, Verses 7 to 18. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share, share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to, came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats of false accusations, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, 
whether he might be the Messiah. John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. For the chaff he will burn with unquestionable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This reading is from Swedenborg, True Christianity. All people then have just as much freedom in spiritual matters as they do in civic and earthly matters. The Lord constantly grants us freedom to everyone. Therefore, we are at fault if we do not think about God. Our ability to have such thoughts is what makes us human. The inability of the animals to have such thoughts is what makes them animals. They have we, therefore, we have the ability to reform and regenerate ourselves as if we are doing so on our own, provided that at heart we admit that the Lord is the one doing the work. Everyone who practices repentance and believes in the Lord is reformed and regenerated. We have to do both of these things as if we are acting on our own, even though the ability to act seemingly on our own comes from the Lord. To sum this up, do those things on your own, but believe that you do them with the help of the Lord. Then you will be doing them as if you were acting on your own. I'm wondering how many of you know the intricacies of threshing? Of threshing. Any good threshers here? I'm guessing not. So, so here's the thing. Most people, we live in a much more urban context than biblical times. And sometimes I wonder if when we as modern people, when we read the Bible, do we really understand what the Bible is saying because the culture that wrote the Bible, well, we'll just say it's a little bit different than our culture. Right? The, um, I think like for me to get to church, every day I travel as far as Jesus walked in his life. Right? I think that's about right. So it, it's, it's a... It's a different world. And, and so we have all these great analogies in the Bible. Jesus loves analogies. He loves talking in a language that people really understand. The problem is, nowadays, we just don't really understand. Threshing, we do this now by machine. I don't know if there's anybody who really threshes, unless... We have any good home bread makers who actually, when I say home bread makers, I'm not talking buy King Arthur flour and take it home and make bread. I'm talking grow the wheat, harvest your wheat, and then before grinding the wheat into flour, you must thresh the wheat. The act of threshing or 
you know, some would call it winnowing, depending on which attitude you have, is, is after you basically beat the wheat with a stone or put it on a revolving disc that breaks it up, you flip the wheat into the air. Kind of like someone who's good at flipping omelets. You flip it up into the air, but not so much that you throw it over your shoulder. Just enough that in your basket, the husks on the outside. So did you all know that wheat has husks on the outside? Again, most of the stuff, we don't, we're really not in communication. And uh, we don't really have an understanding of the things that we eat. Like flour is this magical thing. It grows on trees in bags and we pick it and we buy it at stores, right? So flour coming from wheat has these seeds and the outside of the seeds have husks on them. And the husks protect the nutrients on the inside. And you have to break it. So you normally do it with like a stone or something like that. Or in our case, you know, a, a good machine that's designed to do it. And then, so what they would do in that time is after hitting it with a rock or putting it on a stone type of mill, they would take a basket and they'd gently toss it in the air just enough so that the husks would raise into the air and the wind that is created by the motion of their basket blows it away, leaving just the wheat in the basket. If you have too much of the husk in your wheat when you go to grind and make flour, you have flour that is unusable. This is something that the average household did constantly. Jesus using this Example, sorry, sorry, John the Baptist using this example, I think, sorry. Using this example was an everyday practice. It would be like, I don't know, us talking about crossing the street or going to Whole Foods or whatever grocery store you choose. I'm choosing all the local, local ones. This is a commonplace thing. It's like us programming our microwave for a three-minute cook cycle or, or whatnot. Right? This is how you cooked. Everyone understood this. But I don't think that we, always, that we always do. And so when these pictures come up, the modern understanding of hell, this, people like to talk about the winnowing fires at the end of this process. So once you have the wheat separated, you have all this junk, and people would either feed them to livestock or burn them. And so people take this notion of the fires as being the people who aren't good enough, and they will burn in hell forever. How does that sound to you? I don't like that kind of hell. That hell does not make sense to me. You see, because if God is really an all-loving, all-knowing, creative power that created everything, that means God needs to punish people, and I don't like it. And scripturally, by the way, there's very little foundation for that notion of hell. The closest notion of hell that you get is a place where people are out of communication with God. And they talk about the grinding and gnashing of teeth. There's no fire. But I want to talk for a moment about Swedenborg's concept of hell because it fascinates me. Because Swedenborg says something very interesting. Hell exists out of love, not punishment. Does that sound weird to anyone? Hell exists out of freedom and out of love and not out of punishment. God does not get anything from punishing people. 
what God does is create a place where you upon death want to go. If a person exists in such a way where all they do is care about themselves and they don't want to be in relationship with other people, they don't want to be loving, they don't want to be supporting, guess where they go? They are given exactly what they want. And it is a place. Well, Swedenborg describes it in farm terms. Um, so I'm going to not attack animals like that. I'm going to use a human example, one that maybe some of you are aware of. I like to use the New York Stock Exchange. This is not because I think that people who make money are inherently evil. I'm not picking on the people who work there. I'm talking, if you've ever seen the New York Stock Exchange before the bell rings, all the people on the floors are friends. They're walking around, they're talking, they're shaking hands, they're greeting each other. Then the bell rings and something magical happens. They become people who react and don't think or care about anyone in what they're doing. They're just trying to corner markets. They're just saying, can I get this? Can I sell that? Can I get this? Can I sell that? Can I get it? Can I sell it? And they do that, and when the bell rings, all of a sudden they're back to being normal people again. Hell is like that sales time, where people are just spending so much of their folks and energy saying, I want it all, that they aren't actually in relationship with anyone, with anything outside of what they're trying to get. They're running around trying to collect gold and treasures and doing all this thing, thinking that they're the ones who are going to corner the market. The thing is, it never stops, because that's what they love doing. Now, the people in heaven, in Swedenborg's vision, they're walking on gold. right? The walls are made of gold. The streets are made of gold. Like All the things that are precious are all around them. And they look down at the people... And how? And they're like, why on earth are they fighting over that stuff? This is what we walk on. What are you talking about? There's a difference of state, a difference of priority between hell and heaven. The threshing floor is not in hell or heaven, by the way. Those are the places where people are they're engaged in doing what they want to do. Anyone want to guess where the threshing floor is? You're sitting in it. And I don't mean the church. I mean this life. This is a time where we are trying to separate what is useful from what is not useful in our lives so that we can perfect ourselves and become better. You know... I also want to, I want to defend the chaff here for a second. Because all the time we say, well, chaff is useless. You know what? It's there for a reason. Chaff is stuff that protects us when we are young. This is the stuff that we are taught. This is the stuff that we learn. This is the stuff that keeps us safe when we don't know any better. But as we are cracked by existence, by the truths of life and truths of faith, we we learn that there are things we need to shed. And those things need to be lifted away and burnt off. And this is painful, in all honesty. I'm not saying that life is easy. In fact, I'm going I'm to clue some people into something that they may not know. If you are struggling with how to be good, you are probably better off than the person who thinks they are good. It is harder 
to be good than to be selfish. Believe it or not. Making the tough choice is usually better than making the choice that really excites you. Now, I'm not talking across the board, but let's say you're in a business meeting or, or you're making a decision about what to do and it's, we'll say, regarding someone else or regarding an organization or a company. Usually the choice that's hard to make, that one that you find the truth fighting against your relationships and your loves, those are the hard ones to make. That's where the difficulty is found. Because let's be clear, if you really love something, whether you love something that's good or whether you love something that's easy, guess how hard it is to make that choice? It's not hard. It's easy to do something that you want to do. It is easy to embrace a loving action that is fun. It is easy to embrace a selfish action that is fun. But what happens when your understanding touches something that you know is right but is in conflict with your selfishness? That's the threshing floor. That's the place where you are dealing with what is good and those protective things that might have been selfish. That's when those things are wrestling in the basket, waiting for clarity and understanding to be blown out for the fire to consume. And that fire is not a magic fire that comes from someplace else. That fire is the pain of experience. That fire is the, you know what? I really like this person, so I'm going to bend this rule this one time. And then that feeling you get when it all falls apart because it doesn't work out and you bent the rules for the wrong reasons and the pain that everyone goes through, that's the fire. You see, Swedenborg says, heaven and hell are these states of existence that we live in in this world going back and forth, which is why it's the threshing floor. Once we're in heaven, there's a purity of experience of goodness, or if one's in hell, there's a, a purity of experience that's competition. But here we go back and forth, gently being thrown up in the air and the wind taking away the parts of us that need to be pured. That wind is the Holy Spirit. So water and fire. For Swedenborg, water is understanding. When John the Baptist introduces people to that baptism and clears them from sin, it's the beginning of their voluntary understanding or their voluntary journey where they are starting to learn new things. Any of us learn new things this week? I have. We constantly learn new things, hopefully, otherwise life would be really boring. I learned today that somebody in choir likes to gargle with salt water before they sing, I'm guessing. Because, you know, for two and a half years, three years, every time I've come up here, there's been a magic glass of water just sitting next to me for the service. So if I need a drink, I can take a drink. And I don't know where it comes from. For a while, I thought Mary did it, and then some days it's not Mary. I don't know. It just comes from somewhere. Today, the magic glass turned out to be salt water. <clears throat> you always learn new things. Like, you can't trust the glass of water that magically appears next to you. So we learn new things, and there's a pain that comes with those new things. And it's a pain of growth. 
this life is about struggle, and that struggle isn't bad. That struggle gives us the opportunity to freely grow and engage in life. It, it's a joyful thing. Advent is actually a time where we celebrate darkness, not Christmas. Christmas comes on the 25th, typically, and that's when we celebrate Jesus actually coming to the world. Advent is a time where we celebrate the darkness, but we shouldn't do that because we want to sit around being depressed. We should do that because the darkness of this life is opportunity. The darkness of our life is the place where we are struggling the most with rebirth. Christmas is about God coming into our lives. It's about a little baby that needs protection. And then we take a trip through his life as he grows and as he learns. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Like most of us have gone through this. Little babies that grow and learn. Christmas is about God trying to reach out to us. To say, I get it. I get the difficulties of babyhood. I get the difficulties of life. And I, throughout my visible life on earth as Jesus, I am telling you, I get it. And come to me to help understand more. Come to the parables so that protective coating on the outside of you can be cracked. And that through your experiences in your life, you can be winnowed. And so that the parts of you that are keeping you from being the most useful and the most of service can be blown away so that you can be purified into the best bread that God created you to live. When you look at it this way, threshing sounds really good, doesn't it? But it's an arduous task. The people of that day understood how much their back hurt when they were doing this. They understood that this is talking about the difficulty of life bringing about the source and sustenance of life. So this Christmas season, this Advent season, I challenge you to find the joy in the work. To find the joy in the difficulties because the reward for those difficulties can be your transformation. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowdoin Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.